You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. When I was a boy, probably about the same age as Charlotte, um, maybe a little older, I'm not sure, but it's one of my earliest memories. I remember having a very pretty Sunday school teacher. And uh, <laughs> one of my memories of that time was one of the other children in Sunday school hurting themselves, and then this teacher kissing them on the arm, I think it was, better. And immediately I plotted a foolproof plan <laughs> to get a kiss. Uh, you know, it was no way this could go wrong. I faked an injury <laughs> and told her that I'd hurt my arm and waited for the kiss to come. And somehow she must have seen through me. How, I don't know. Um, Abby will tell you I'm just as transparent now. But um, <laughs> She saw through, and um, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I do remember being really upset for a few hours afterwards at being, my affections being spurned. You know, she said something, oh, well, you'll be fine, and hurried me on up the stairs. Um, it's funny, isn't it, how transparent the plots of children are, I mean, you've probably seen it with your own kids or other people's kids, where they, you know, you can see the little cogs turning and navigating a social situation. It's just so easy to tell what's going on in their little minds, isn't it? And I just think there's something about this scene in this reading that reminded me of that, um, how we think our kind of invisible motives and so on are, uh, are not seen by anyone in certain social situations, but actually... His Jesus, the, the passage says, they were watching him very carefully. But he was obviously watching them very carefully. And I think to the Lord Jesus, this weird situation of choosing seats at this banquet must have been as transparent as my little plot to get a kiss. <laughs> he could really see what was going on in the hearts of the people there. Um, there's this honor and shame culture that Jesus is in, which is... It's kind of hard for us to get our head around, but there was there was something going on in this banquet that it's helpful for us to understand. Um, the place of honour, the highest place, the places of highest honour would have been next to the host. And you know, if you were placed there, then you were the most important person there, next to the host himself. And I think I'm not sure, but I think there was probably a little bit of a social game going on because the passage says that people had to choose their own place. That's what it says, right? So there's something, I think, about how much can you get away with, how cheeky can you be, how self-promoting can you be, how high dare I place myself at this banquet? And, you know, is there some shame involved in placing myself too high? Is there some honor involved in getting away with it? Oh, no one's asked me to move. There's something of that going on as Jesus is a guest at this Pharisee's house. And so Jesus responds with this parable, advice to the guests, take the place you know, the lowest place and be invited up and this advice to the host. And in one sense, this is just good advice. I mean, it's just wisdom, isn't it? It's the kind of common sense. You don't want to look stupid in public. So don't put yourself in a place where someone's going to come and publicly humiliate you. There's a proverb, uh, Proverbs 25, verse 6, 7. Do not exalt yourself in the presence of the king. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. So Jesus just kind of just reiterating a proverb, maybe. Is that it? I think there's more I think there's more going on, don't you? It's more than good advice. 
It's more than good advice. If you, like Jesus, could see the hearts of everybody there and what their intentions were as they chose their place, what kind of emotions and intentions would you see? That's worth thinking about, isn't it? What kind of spiritual afflictions were behind this bizarre game of self-promotion? Well, I, I put it to you that primarily there are probably two things going on in the hearts of the people there. One is pride and the other insecurity. Think that's true? I couldn't think of any others. And if there are any others, we don't have time to think about them. <laughs> pride and insecurity, I think, are the two things going on. Pride, this weird, satanic thing, <laughs> it is demonic thing really in us, where we think that somehow the world would be a better place if I were on top of everything else and everybody just did what I said and somehow I was praised and I was the centre of attention and I got the honour and the glory and all those things and I look better than everyone else. That thing inside us that wants to to push down other people and put ourselves up. That's a real thing. There's this uh, weird thing inside us that wants to do that. It's really, really ugly when it's unveiled. But there it is. Pride, you know, it just happens so easily. And then woven together in this kind of knot is insecurity. So on the one hand, there's kind of like, you know, I'm choosing a place where I'm better than him and I want to be seen to be better than that person. I want to promote myself. But on the other hand, there's fear. And if you put yourself in that social situation, it doesn't take too much imagination to to imagine, you know, you're thinking, I I need to sit next to this person because they're influential and maybe my kids will get, you know, a better job when they're older or maybe it's it's important for my connections or I'm going through some financial problems and if I sit next to this person, maybe they hear about that. You know, you can, all the fears and so on. Or maybe just the fear of being bored. Oh, I'm going to get sat next to, you know, whatever his name is. He's going to chew my ear off the whole meal and, you know, <laughs> and I could be sitting with the fun people at the, at the top, t- top table or whatever it is. There's fear going on. Pride and fear woven together into this knot of self-promotion. That's, that's what I think is driving us. So I think there's more than good advice here. This is, I think this is what's going on, why Jesus makes a point of it, why Luke has picked it out of all the things he could have written about, about the Lord's ministry, why the Holy Spirit has inspired him to do that. This is more than a meal. This is an everyday scene. So much of our own lives, so much of my life, certainly, so much of yours, so much of our social interactions, our, our thought life is taken up with this same knotty problem of pride and insecurity. So much of the way we deal with other people, so much of the way we, we navigate social situations, we find ourselves, for one reason or another, wanting to push ourselves up and push others down because of pride and fear. So Jesus, in speaking into this situation, he's He's not just saying, this this is how to behave when you go to, you know, a nice meal. He's saying, I see your childlike heart. I see your worries and your pride. I see the wheels turning. And there's there's a way out of it. There's a way to grow up. You know, this is, you don't have to be stuck here. You know, this behavior is, it's, uh, it's so important. That God addresses this, you know. And I think, I wonder if it's especially important for our, this time as well in our culture. 
What culture in history has been more self-promoting? It's everywhere, isn't it? From kind of our radical individualism, the way we all dress differently and express ourselves very publicly, to social media and all those things. Not that those are, you know, uniformly, blanketly bad things. But we definitely need this advice in the midst of this kind of chaotic churning of, of emotions. We're exposed to this sort of social interaction. I would suggest more than ever, actually. So our hearts are on display more than ever. And it's destructive. It's destructive. I mean, you know, imagine being in that situation and see the destruction it causes as uh, Jesus highlights that, you know, the humiliation in front of everybody. The, the person who's hosting the banquet has to say, um, you know, you've got, you've, got, you've got to move down. But think of also the embarrassment you're putting your host through. Think of the breaking of relationship that you're putting the person who's going to take your place. You know, they're not going to be able to look at you. You know, it's a destructive behavior. And that's just illustrated it in this one situation of how destructive pride and fear can be. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's cancerous. It's really destructive to our emotional life, to our relationship with God, to our social situation. So, this is relevant not just to meals, it's relevant to our culture, it's relevant to you and me. And I'll just invite you, before we move on, just to think, where are these areas in my life? You know, is this relevant to me right now? Am I fearful, insecure, to the point where I'm grasping after things, maybe even to, to the detriment of other people? Am I proud, wanting to push other people down just to, just to be the center of attention or love or affirmation. God would speak to each one of us this morning. Jesus' remedy in this passage of scripture is twofold. It gives us an attitude, an action, and I'll give him the second one away. <laughs> an attitude, well done Nick. <laughs> an action, an attitude, or a medicine and a mentality if you like. Um, you can choose either. He gives us an action and an attitude, medicine and a mentality. So, firstly, an action, a medicine. To the guests, verse 7, he addresses himself to, to the guests. Lower yourself. Choose the lowest place. Choose the lowest place. And to the host, he gives uh, basically the same medicine, but you're just a different role. When you hold a party, don't invite all the people you want to invite who are going to give you prestige and honor, and everyone's going to look at you and go, wow, look how important he must be. Everyone, No, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. The crippled and the lame and the blind, by the way, were in some quarters uh, seen as those who would be excluded from the Messianic feast at the end of time. So Jesus is really turning things upside down. But yeah, so he gives the same advice. Take an action. Lower yourself, he says. You can do something about this pride. And actually, this is something really important for us to know. God doesn't want us simply to passively ask him to deal with our pride and say, Lord, I'm proud. Please help me. Lord, I'm fearful. Please help me. Although he does help with those things, of course, through prayer. But actually, he invites us to take action. And this, before we get into the detail, it's it's a really helpful general rule, of course, are Growing in Christ-likeness is not simply a passive thing. God wants us to engage our wills. He wants us to take action. 
It's a cooperative effort. Of course, God is in charge. Of course, you know, he's the major player, but he invites our cooperation because he's a father and we're his children. You know, so there's a, there's a fam- familial relationship there. But also, it's a, it's a really good, um, general rule in terms of how to deal with sin in general. If you've got some besetting sin in your life, a good general rule of how to deal with it is to fight it with the opposite thing. So if you're struggling with laziness, or old-fashioned words, sloth, put yourself in a situation where you are accountable and committed to do some hard work on a regular basis. It's a re- it's really good medicine. You know, if you're, if you're struggling with uh, pride, lower yourself. You know, so generally speaking, this is good, uh, good medicine. Jesus is, is recommending this lowering ourselves. And there's something behind this, something that the Lord wants us to capture, which is just how poisonous, how widespread, how cancerous, how dangerous pride is. What he's saying is, wherever you see it, whenever you feel it raising its head, do not mess around. Do not waste a second. Run away. Run away from this desire to promote yourself. Put it to death. That's, that's really what he's saying. You know, so whenever you're not mentioned, overlooked, and that thing rises up and you want to say, what about me? Don't say it. <laughs> whenever you're compared unfavorably, and you want to come back with some reply, don't do it. I was, you know, I think, think about, you ever get caught up in clever replies when somebody says something mean? I was, uh, we were watching, Abby and I were watching, uh, some TV program and had Winston Churchill, he seemed to be the king of the comebacks. And he was often compared to, uh, Clement Attlee, after the war this is. Clement Attlee was kind of, I guess, seen as a safe pair of hands and, but he was a bit of a boring chap, I think. Is that fair? Yeah, right, so, so, <laughs> and Winston Churchill once, um, uh, said, uh, Clement Attlee, he was a sheep in sheep's clothing. When compared unfavorably to him, uh, someone said to him, but he is a very humble man, as in, you know, Churchill, the kind of wartime, but probably slightly egotistical leader. But Clement Attlee is a very humble man. Churchill replied, well, he's got plenty to be humble about. <laughs> Funny, but bad for your soul. <laughs> Funny, but bad for your soul. So, you know, it's like run away from that desire to put others down. When, you know, t- the the opportunity for titles or position or, or, you know, come up or, you know, somehow uh, being taken away from you or there's a danger you're not going to be recognized, you can ignore it. It's okay. When there's a, you know, there's a desire to get ahead at the expense of other people, just put it to one side. When you want to um, humble brag, as they call it, hashtag humble brag, sorry, <laughs> on social media, just don't do it. You know, Jesus is saying it's so bad for you. It's so bad for you. Just don't mess around with it. This, this pride business, it's like playing with fire. When you're slighted and you think you've dealt with it perfectly and you've given away the position and somebody comes alongside you and says, wasn't that a shame? <laughs> so you've given away the prestige and you've dealt with your heart. And all that sort of Someone says, what a shame. And that temptation comes to badmouth the other person, to question the procedure. Whatever it is, put it to death. Don't give in to it. 
You know, that's what Jesus is saying. It's, it's, it's like, there's, don't mess around with pride. It is so bad for you. So cancerous, so dangerous. Don't mess around with it. I found this, uh, this prayer, which I just think sums up what a Christian attitude to pride or a way of dealing with it should be. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it basically it's a prayer to Jesus. And it says, it says this, From the desire of being esteemed, Lord Jesus, deliver me. From the desire of being loved, deliver me. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me. Deliver me. From the desire of being honoured, deliver me. From the desire of being praised, deliver me. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me. From the desire of being approved, deliver me. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me. From the fear of being despised, deliver me. From the fear of being rebuked, deliver me. From the fear of being calumniated, uh, deliver me. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. The opinion of the world, others may increase and I decrease. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. That's what Jesus is saying. That's got to be our attitude. <clears throat> Pride is poisonous. Humility is like living water. All humility is good. All opportunities to humble ourselves is good. So, but Jesus is not just giving us good advice. He's saying, run away from this and run towards this. How can we do that? If it's not just about banquets, what are the practical ways we can do it? We can confess our sin to others and to God freely. That's pretty humbling, isn't it? It's so freeing, so life-giving, so protecting against pride to stand up and, you know, well, if that doesn't have to be in front of church, that's what I was going to say, but it can be. <laughs> And just to say, this is who, this is who I am. And God's, you know, dealing with me. To take wrongs patiently. To concede the point in an argument. <laughs> if it's, you know, if there's nothing too important at stake. <laughs> to submit to authority. Thomas Aquinas said, um, uh, we have to submit to legitimate authority in this life. If we don't learn to do that, we'll never submit to God. You know, every opportunity to submit to a legitimate authority is, is good to humble ourselves under those who rightly rule, uh, rule over us in some respect. So, you know, that means to not rebel in the heart as well as practically. To accept lowly place. To purposely associate with people of a lower state than you. That's deliberately vague, that's, that phrase. Because, you know, in Jesus' time, it would just be to associate with the poor. But it's just not that straightforward now, is it? To associate with people that 
the world would look down on for some reason or another, whether it's for the circumstances or their personality or whatever. <laughs> to give people your full attention. <laughs> is that something, you know, I just, I feel so challenged by that, isn't it? It's a humbling thing, isn't it? To sum- when someone wants your attention and you're distracted by all these different things that are really, really important and to give them, to make them feel like they're the only person that's important to you right now. It's so important. To take every opportunity to serve, to be quick to forgive, to count your blessings, like to literally, you know, say to God, I thank you for this and this and this. To speak well of others at every opportunity. To take pride wherever it rears its head. (coughs) Take it to the cross. And what it means, literally, whenever you see it, just say, Lord, help me to remember your death. You, the King of Kings, crowned with thorns and hung on a cross for me. How can I let this thing live in me? And to look for real value. You know, I just think this is such a big thing. To look for the real value in things. What truly brings goodness and beauty and truth? What truly brings joy and peace? It's not usually the things that we grasp after. It's not sitting next to the important person at the banquet. <laughs> it's not having the status. It's not associating with this cool person or having lots of people like your social media. Those aren't things that actually make the world a better place or make us happy. They're real solid things that really, really enrich our lives and bring us close to God and are full of goodness. And often they're humble and hidden things. Often they're almost invisible things. Often there's things like spending time with people that no one else wants to spend time with. You actually find out, you get to know people, you see value in people, you start to see the image of God in people. You know, it's so, these important things. You know what occurred to me when I thought about this point, looking for real value in things? I thought about Jesus' family. If you were God and you were going to send your son to earth to be raised in a family and you knew he was going to be the king of kings, what upbringing would you want him to have? What mother and father would you want him to have? What's, what location would you want him to grow up in? You know, Jesus' upbringing in Nazareth was not just about humiliation in the sense of finding the worst possible place to grow up. It was the best possible place to grow up. In poor surroundings, humble family, normal mother and father. This is the most precious thing, you know, but overlooked unseen by the world, unvalued. So look for real value. So God would give us medicine this morning. He would say to us, lower yourself, take every opportunity, realize how dangerous pride is, fight it every turn, realize how life-giving is, humility is, and grasp it at every opportunity. But this, uh, this self-humbling is more than medicine for pride. It's also medicine for fear. So it's still medicine, but it's not just about pride. It's also medicine for fear. By humbling ourselves, by doing all those things, or more and many more that I've mentioned this morning, we throw ourselves into reality. Pride 
and self-promotion, all those things, all they are essentially are lies. They're being unrealistic about ourselves. They're, they're grasping onto to untruths about the way the world is and the way that uh, we are. In our imagination, we will only get what we need if we somehow scrabble to the top because pride and sin in us makes us feel like uh, the, the whole world, in fact, the whole universe is, is a rat race and only one is going to be the winner. There's a film I used to watch when I was a kid called Highlander. Anyone watch Highlander? Chris, thank you. Just the one. (laughs) Yeah, the the whole phrase. (laughs) Thank you for reminding me. The whole phrase of the film was there can be only one. And basically this whole film was this race of superheroes that live among us and only one can be the winner. And occasionally they bump into each other and then they kill it, then one kills the other. Until, you know, after starting with thousands, there's just one left and he gets to be the ruler of everybody. <laughs> oh, that's not going to go into details. Tina. <laughs> Tina's getting well into it. <laughs> uh, I won't tell you how it all works. There can be only one. But, you know, okay, silly example. But there's something in us, isn't it, that says this is how the universe works. There can be only one. And that's got to be me. And actually the devil would like us to believe that and he would like us to act on that truth. Or it's like those scenes of, do you remember those scenes a few years ago on Black Friday when they were selling those Panasonic TVs for like 200 quid in Asda or something and people were fighting in the doorways of the supermarket to to grab themselves like a bargain television. Do you remember those? If you don't take it, if you don't push other people to one side and grab what you need, you will not get it. You will miss out. And we, something in us <laughs> tells us that's true. Neither of those things, neither Highlander nor Asda televisions or how the, how the universe works. The truth of how the universe works is this. God, who is the one, desires all of you to be happy and fulfilled, to be perfectly joyful, to have all your desires met, even the ones you don't know about to be perfectly peaceful and joyful, to be pouring yourself out completely in service of others and filled completely with the love of God and other people. God, who is all-powerful and all-wise, all-knowing, has that intention. Is he going to fail? No. To bring that about? No, he's not going to fail. It's not there can be only one. There can be all that God has made in perfect harmony. Perfectly being everything that God intended us to be. Perfectly fulfilled. There is no grasping necessary. There's no self-promotion necessary. In our day-to-day lives, that comes with an incredible reassurance about the limits of how much we need to grab and take control of things. I was on a walk the other day and there are these um, butterflies out that I've I don't think I've seen them before. If I have, I've forgotten. And uh, they're tiny little blue butterflies. The outside of their wings are brown. Someone will know what these are called. The outside of the wings are brown, beautiful kind of peacock colours, and the inside are blue. And right in the middle, they're kind of almost purple. Really, really beautiful. And they're tiny, about a centimetre, maybe a centimetre and a half uh, in length. And I was walking through this field, and you know, the grasshoppers were leaping here and there, and the sun was setting. And this butterfly was taking off, and I looked at its tiny little wings... And it flapping like crazy, going towards some journey. And you know how butterflies fly? Well, they, they fly. <laughs> I think they know where they're going, <laughs> but I'm not sure they really do. 
isn't that a lovely illustration for how we are? We have control, we have responsibility, we have some things that God has delegated to us. But it's very, very limited, isn't it? Compared to the vast currents of, you know, the things happening around us. We're caught up in gusts of wind, streams, you know, water, however you want to put it, moving us here and there. God has delegated such little responsibility to us. And certainly no more than we can manage. <laughs> you know, we can be trapped under this pressure to grab what we don't have. This anxiety. If you don't take it, you're not going to get it. When I was younger, I used to feel like that about myself. You know, I had to promote myself. I had to better myself. And it can become a cycle, like a, a, an endless cycle of wanting to be a better person and trying to self-improve and all that sort of thing. Now that I'm a little older, vicariously, I worry about it for my children. I have this anxiety, this weight, this pressure. I've got to grab for them. I've got to promote for them, you know, even at the expense of other people. There's the temptation. And all that's a lie. Because I think back and I count my blessings like I was saying earlier. How many of those have come to me through my effort? (laughs) So little. I taught myself a programming language once. (laughs) Through sheer determination. You know, I just think back to my childhood and all the blessings that came my way. What did I have to do with those? Nothing. How free was I? Very free. God blessed me and he blessed me and he blessed me again. I just like, you know, lay back and it just came. You know, think through my life and all my striving and stressing out and by trying to grab things for myself, all the best and most beautiful <laughs> things that have come to me have been, not chance, but, you know, providentially by God's plan. My wife, my kids, you know, my job. All these things that bless me so richly. God has just thrown my way when I wasn't even looking for them. And I'm just a butterfly in the wind. <laughs> You know, trying to influence my direction. You know, God would say to us this morning, "You be be free. Be have the medicine for pride, but have the medicine for fear too." God is in charge and is able and loves to give you everything you need. And yes, it may be by a more circuitous route than you would like, but He is God and He loves you and He's all powerful and all knowing and He will not fail. This is the best thing. I just, you know, even as I'm preparing this, I'm thinking, Lord, just remind me again, is this too good to be true? Is this too good to be true? And he says, Matthew 6, 25. Straight from the Lord's mouth, isn't it? Do not worry about your life. The Lord commands you. (laughs) Do not worry about what you will eat or drink or wear. Look at the birds of the field. They neither sow, nor spin, uh, nor reap, nor store in barns. Are you not much more valuable than them? Look at the flowers of the field. Are they not arrayed more finely than Solomon? Are you not much more valuable than them? You don't need to grab. You don't need to push. Not for you, not for your family, not for anyone you know. You don't need to... Be anxious about missing out. 
to not worry. That kind of worry is a, it's a type of pride. That's self-promotion. God wants to look after you. Relax. <laughs> God is looking after you. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So medicine. What about mentality? We've had an action. We're going to talk about an attitude. Humility isn't just the right way to act when tempted with pride. It's not just the right way to act when we're fearful. But it flows from an understanding of our relationship with God. Again, if we look at the passage, similar to previous weeks, one word is incredibly significant. In verse 10, this word, friend. Friend. There is implied in that word, intimacy. Prior relationship. Favour. Who, if you were invited to a banquet by your best friend, and they were actually your best friend and nobody else's, and you got there and you mingled and you didn't know anyone, but you knew your best friend was coming in a moment. You were, that insecurity, it's, it changes the whole thing, doesn't it? That's what Jesus, you know, Jesus is saying that. He's not just saying you know, this might happen. He's saying, look, you have a relationship with the banquet holder. He's saying to you, friend, come up higher. And now in that relationship, you can pin, it's out of that relationship that you have that freedom to be humble, to not promote yourself. And again, in uh, verse 14, there's something about a relationship. It's less obvious. But when he's talking to the banquet holder and he's saying, when you hold a banquet, you invite the, the poor, the lame, the crippled, the blind. He says, you will be repaid. By who? At the end of the age and the age to come. Who will repay you? The king of kings. The perfect judge, the one who sees all and puts all things right. It implies a relationship, a trust relationship with God. But we're gonna, that's a, you know, that's good in and of itself, isn't it? God is our friend. He's our perfect king. He's the perfect judge. So we can rest on that relationship, but more than those things. We can, we can, logic this out from the lesser standard of friendship and kingship to the higher standard. God is our Father. That relationship is the ground of our security in Him, our need not our freedom from pride and from fear. He's our Father. Yes, so He's benevolent like a king and all-powerful because He's the King of Kings and He's good because He's perfect. But he's a father. Fatherhood implies something fundamentally different, doesn't it, in our relationship with him. Fatherhood, if he's our father, it implies change in that relationship. It's not a static relationship. But it also implies inheritance. Everything good that God has, all his fullness of life, every good thing that flows from him, he desires to give to you. To share it all with you and not to hold anything back. Isn't that a wonderful truth? He is your father. He's your father. If that would, I wouldn't need to preach the first half of the sermon, would I? If we just knew that, who would be proud? <laughs> who would feel the need to promote themselves? Who would feel fearful or insecure if that one truth were 
secure and in place. We would be the freest people who'd ever lived. If we make a mistake, is he there? Oh, I can't believe it. No. He's there waiting to help us. If we miss an opportunity, is he there saying, oh, serves you right. First come, first serve. No, he's a father. He's a father. If we fall behind, he'll help us catch up. If we're unhappy, he'll make us happy. If we're unfulfilled, he'll fulfill us. If we're overlooked, we're the apple of his eye. (laughs) He's attentive, wise and perfect and powerful. And he loves you. And he delights in you. That's the thing that always blows my mind. He likes you. <laughs> it blows my mind that he likes me. I'm not that surprised that he likes you. <laughs> but you probably are. He delights in you. He delights in you for who you are right now. As a father delights in their child. He delights in who you will be one day. When perfectly like Christ, you are fully yourself. And completely like anybody else. He sees it all and he just loves you. When we're proud, Jesus said, God humbles the proud. Those who exalt themselves will be lowered. Why? So we're not robbed of this relationship with him. Why would a loving father humble us so that we're not robbed of this relationship with him? When we humble, he opens our eyes. When we're humble in our actions and our attitude, it opens our eyes, this incredible security we have. He pours into our life this fullness of life, this real good stuff that we haven't grabbed for ourselves. But he gives it to us for free. Isn't that amazing? Paul says it like this in Romans. Romans 8. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received, brought about by your adoption to sonship, by him we cry, Abba Father. This is the security that Jesus had that enabled him to leave his heavenly father's side to humble himself and take a human identity to become a man, humble himself and enter into our sin. It was this freedom, this absolute confidence in the Father's affection and power and purposes for him, that freedom to go to the cross and take the punishment and the consequences of our sins on his shoulders. And he's Jesus shares that with us. He he says, I will not leave you as orphans. He says, my father and your father. He wants to share this life with us so that we are completely free. Free to relax in God, free to rest in him, free to be joyful, free to have peace, and free to love with the abandon of Jesus. How much we withhold because we're fearful of never being repaid. We're fearful of losing our status, our station, or how much we withhold from others and even from God. 
how much joy we're robbed of because we don't have that security. So let me finish by asking you this this morning. Or allow the Holy Spirit to ask you this. From where are you getting your value? What things make you feel important or special? Where do you get your affirmation? From people or situations, from a job or a title or you know better than I. These are flickering and inconstant flames. It will warm you one second and not be there the next. Uncertain and failing. God invites us this morning to throw ourselves into the constant, unfailing fire of his passion for you. Stop. Stop trying to sit next to the most important person. Stop putting yourself forward. Stop robbing yourself of this security. Seek the Father's arms, the Father's heart. Spend time with him. Humble yourself practically with your actions and in your heart. Draw close to him and you'll find perfect freedom. I believe God would uh, minister to us this morning that freedom. And I think it would be good to pray at some point, Mark, I'll leave it to you when and how. Um, Obviously we can pray together, we can just pray on our own, we're going to take communion and I think it would be good just to pray that God gives us that sense of identity, of the certainty of his fatherhood. Wouldn't that be good? To ask him to do that? that As we share in Christ's life, we realize that we share the same father. By adoption, we have this amazing relationship with him. And I think it'd be good maybe um, to have a time in ministry um, towards the end of the service. Maybe if you never experienced that sense of knowing God as father, God does and has, and I know it for myself, and I know people have experienced this, uh, from time to time, give us that amazing revelation of security in him, his love for us. And, you know, I think he's willing to do that. And if we come to him, if you've never experienced that or it's been too long since you've known that, I think it'd be really good to pray into that in ministry time towards the end of the service, if that's okay with you, Mark. Okay, let's pray.